following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. Which of these three is the best theological statement? A. God is with us despite our sins. B. God is with us because of our sins. Or C. God is with us to save us from our sins. It was 730 years before the birth of Christ. The once impressive kingdom ruled by King David had been split in two for some time, divided into two kingdoms because of greed and envy and selfish ambition. By the time a a man named Ahaz emerged as king over the southern kingdom, Ahaz and the people under his rule were not what God had in mind for his chosen people. When Ahaz is first introduced to the Bible's readers, this is what's sad. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. King Ahaz, like many of those kings before him, followed the examples of the, of, of the kings of the northern kingdom and of the pagan nations that surrounded them. In order to please his non-existent gods and in order to, to satisfy the lust of his flesh, he engaged in prefer, perverse sexual rituals. Rather than worshiping the Lord God, he closed down the temple at Jerusalem. On the hilltops and under every spreading tree in the land, we're told Ahaz the king burned incense in honor of his false gods. And to top it off, he offered up his own son as a sacrifice to these gods, offered him up to the fiery flames. Nearby nations formed a formidable alliance. They went to war against King Ahaz's little kingdom. In one day, 120,000 of his fighting men were either captured or killed. King Ahaz knew he was about to topple from power. So, Did he go before the Lord God in prayer? Did he seek his wisdom and strength in God's word? Did he consult seeking advice from one of the Lord's faithful prophets? No, he did not. Instead, he went to the capital of the enemy nation of his people. He brought along with him vast amounts of silver and gold that he had robbed from the temple in Jerusalem to present it as a bribe to that particular ruler that they would leave his little country alone. While he was there, he bowed down in their temple to their gods. He was so impressed with one of the altars at that temple. He had a replica built back at the temple in Jerusalem 
But none of it worked for him. His enemies still prepared to come back and do battle with him, still lined up his armies to attack and destroy and carry off King Ahaz and his people into slavery. He was at this lowest point for this very wicked man that God gave instructions to his prophet Isaiah. He told him, go and meet with King Ahaz. Meet him at the end of the aqueduct to the upper pool in the city of Jerusalem. When King Ahab arrives, Isaiah, tell him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, don't lose heart. Those that oppose you are merely men, and I, the Lord God, won't let them tear you apart. Don't be afraid of what you think is going to happen because it's not going to happen. And then God instructed Isaiah, tell him to ask for a sign. Tell him to ask for a sign that could be presented in the, in the deepest depths of the sea or in the highest heights of the sky or anywhere in between. Tell him he can ask for a sign to prove that I'm going to do this. So Isaiah, he followed the, the Lord God's instructions. The king Ahaz, he heard the word of God, but he responded with arrogance. He countered with unbelief. He answered with sort of a false humility. He said, I will not ask. I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. That's when the Lord instructed his prophet to tell King Ahaz that hard times would indeed arrive. He had his prophet announced that this enemy nation eventually was going to come and it would overrun the people of the whole region and enslave them and bring misery to all of them. But remarkably, the Lord did not retract his offer. Matter of fact, he still promised to provide a, a sign of deliverance even to those who didn't want to hear it. The sign was proof that God can do the impossible and rescue his people from their own wickedness. The sign was proof that God will do the unthinkable and, and be present even for those who cannot understand his ways. The sign would assure everyone who hears it to keep calm, to not be afraid, to not lose heart. Isaiah was told to put it this way, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. One of the things that you have come to know about the one and only true God is that he's never done anything as people expect he ought to. Though this wicked king didn't want it, God still told him about the sign. 
He didn't carry out the sign of the, the virgin giving birth to a son called Emmanuel for the influential, wealthy influencers of, of the land or for their respected scholars. Nor did he show this sign eventually to King Ahaz's son or to his grandsons. Eight descendants of this king ruled over the land after King Ahaz had died. None of them saw the sign. Eventually, their dynasty collapsed in failure, and this land called Judah never saw such a king again. No, the Lord kept the sign in his back pocket, so to speak, until the time of a man named Joseph and a woman named Mary. The 730 years passed. Then Joseph, we're told, was an ordinary man living in an ordinary town called Nazareth. A betrothal had been arranged in the custom of the day. Very likely it was arranged between Joseph's parents and Mary's parents. A public announcement that a wedding will take place at a certain point was made. Perhaps even the two of them stood up before witnesses and pledged that they would soon marry one another. Of course, it it wasn't just the families who wanted the wedding to take place. Apparently, Joseph did want to be married to Mary as his wife, and Mary did want Joseph to be her husband. But before Joseph took Mary home as his wife and before they, they came together in the marriage bed, Joseph learns Mary's expecting a child. He reaches the only, the only logical conclusion he can make. Mary's been un sexually unfaithful to him. Heartbroken, he begins to think about ending this engagement, this betrothal, and, and calling off the wedding. But he's a righteous man, and in his righteousness before God, he wants to be kind, he wants to be merciful, he doesn't want to expose Mary to, to public disgrace and shame, so he's, he's thinking about ending this betrothal quietly. And that's when Joseph has one of the most remarkable dreams in the very strange history of dreams. As we're told, an angel appears to him one night while he's sleeping in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel says, take Mary home as your wife. Don't be afraid to do that because what is conceived in her is, is not from another man. She has not been sexually unfaithful. No, the angel says what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, the angel said, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. 
Being a righteous man, Joseph takes the angel at his word and he acts accordingly. He even assures that there will be no doubt over the fact that what's conceived in Mary is not from him. It's not from another man. It is from the Holy Spirit. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. You know, as you, as you prepare for Christmas, it doesn't matter at all whether you remember or know how many reindeer Santa Claus has and what their names are. It doesn't make a lick of difference whether you know how many maids are a-milking or what, what frosty the snowman's buttons are made of. As you prepare for Christmas, it doesn't really matter whether you can explain why some people call a Christmas tree a Yule tree. And it, and it doesn't really matter whether you know what happens at Christmas every time a bell rings. But dear child of God, it makes all the difference as you prepare for Christmas, that you know and believe that Mary's child was called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You want to know and believe that Mary was a virgin when she conceived, when she gave birth, because what was conceived in her was from God. The Holy Spirit. Our Savior's disciple and ambassador Matthew makes that crystal clear. And then he adds something else that connects your knowing and believing to something that God said 730 years earlier than this to an unbelieving wicked king named King Ahaz. Matthew writes, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. At the start, I asked you a theological question. That is a question that really can only be answered on the basis of the word of God. Theological question, which is the better theological statement? A, God is with us despite our sins. B, God is with us because of our sins. Or C, God is with us to save us from our sins. I think that's kind of a challenging question. In fact, if you think about A, B, and C long enough, you'll find there's, there's merit to every one of them. A, God is with us despite our sins. Though our persistent worries continue to show a lack of faith in God, though our laziness wastes opportunities to serve him and honor him, though, though our impatience with other people causes great harm, though our thoughts are often pulled away from God, though oftentimes we seek the help of God as the last resort rather than the first, though our sins are many, 
God is still with us. B. God is with us because of our sins. Well, it's absolutely true that holy God hates our persistent worries, our laziness and, and impatience. The holy God hates those moments when we love our things and our pleasures more than we love God. Though our sins are many, they have become the reason why God sent his son to be with us as, what was he called? The, the friend of us sinners. See? God is with us to save us from our sins. Yeah, like you, I'll venture to say that might be, even though all have some truth in them, that might be the best of them because it's precisely what the scripture has told us here. By the Holy Spirit, the, the Virgin Mary gave birth to a son, and at God's directive, Joseph named him Jesus, Hebrew for God saves. Or, as the angel explained to him, he named him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. As the virgin's son, he took our place, human being, living and dying, to rescue us from our sins. As true God from true God from eternity, his living and his dying counts for every single sinner and the salvation of them. Jesus, the Savior, is Emmanuel. That's a Christmas fact. Jesus, the Savior, is Emmanuel. That's a truth of year-round value. Jesus, the Savior, is God with us to the glory of the Heavenly Father who sent him to the fulfillment of the prophets who spoke his word long before and to the eternal benefit of his people. So that you might have the best Christmas celebration ever. You know that and you believe that because that theological truth is clearly proclaimed in God's holy word.